Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Undiscovered You, a podcast for 20, 30, and 40-year-olds who feel like they have so much more to offer, but are somehow stuck where they are. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnston, and in this season, we're going to be speaking about The Authentic You. I'm extremely excited to have my guest, Olivia, with us here today. Olivia is the head of corporate development in a global renewable energy company. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Kimberly. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. So one of the things I'm incredibly excited to have Olivia on for today is her perspective on being your authentic self at work. And I just want to take a step back and kind of talk about where you are now and how you got there. So kind of back to university days, what did you study in university? Where did you go? And where did that lead you? So I studied English literature at Oxford. Um, English literature, not necessarily the most immediately obvious uh, undergraduate degree for a career in business, but it was what I was most passionate about at the time and the thing that I found most interesting. So that's what I did. If I'm going to spend three years doing something, I wanted it to be something I was excited about doing. So I did that and I loved it. And in my final year at university, I knew that if I didn't know where I was going after finals, then I wouldn't be able to concentrate on my finals. So I put in two applications, one for an international development degree at SOAS um, and one to go to an international law firm, Linklaters, to be a trainee. And the Linklaters application form was much easier, much shorter, and they were much more responsive than SOAS. So they offered me a job. And I accepted it and went on to law school and then to spend five or six years at Linklaters, uh, partly in London, partly in Moscow, partly in Milan, um, and certainly taking all the opportunities that they kindly gave me to take off six months or a year here and there along the way um, and went off to do pro bono work in the States and also in India. Uh, before finally settling down to do energy and infrastructure work in the office next to yours uh, for about four years. And then I jumped ship to go and be in-house counsel at a small renewable developer. And everybody said I would hate it. And I was much too, uh, I could didn't believe them. I said I would be absolutely fine. I got there. On day four, I was like, I hate this. This was a really <laughs> bad decision. And I was incredibly lucky to be called up by a recruiter uh, in my second or third week there saying, look, uh, I know you've just accepted a job, but I've got something quite cool that you might be interested in. Um, and it was a commercial role at uh, an energy company that was well known for offshore wind. Hmm. And so I interviewed with them and I've been there in various different roles for the last decade. It'll be 10 years come January, hmm. uh, which feels like a long time but every job I've had there has been different and the company itself has evolved so much that it really feels not like being stuck but like a constantly evolving set of challenges in a series of different organizations which is great. Yeah I think that's something that's really interesting and has come out a lot in this podcast is when you work for a big corporate one of the things that you have at your feet is various opportunities and to not look at the latter as kind of, you know, this rung, that rung, you know, your boss retires, you step up, but actually look at it more as a jungle gym and where can you acquire mm. skills 
within your career that will allow you to progress and take advantage of that if you're in a big corporate. Yeah, we talk about, uh, I like to talk about something called the honeycomb model. Um, Mm. And the reason I like the honeycomb model is because I have always wanted through my career, particularly in this corporate, to be doing what I thought was the best job for me in that company at any one time. And I quite like the idea of the sweetness and the sugar of the honey being what draws you towards the the next thing. And obviously sugar is addictive and so is challenge, it turns out. <laughs> uh, it seems like through through your entire life, you have done that really well is doing what you want to do and not necessarily what other people want you to do. So kind of English literature all the way into renewable energy, you stayed in a role for two weeks and then basically were looking for your next role because you knew you were unhappy. And I think part of that comes in with this being your authentic self. And some people might find that hard. There's a bit of a loyalty issue for some people in terms of you get a job, you know, you're miserable in it, but you stick it out for a year or two. So tell me a bit about how do you make that decision to just say, I'm miserable, I'm out? How do you do that yourself? I think it's a really good question because if 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 the opportunity hadn't come along, what mm. would I have done? You know, mm. I was incredibly lucky that the opportunity that, uh, that I ultimately took did come along when I was unhappy. Um, but in general... I only really like working when I feel like I am having a significant positive impact and I also am having a good time. Um, I'm not necessarily a very fun person, but I really like my job. I really like working. I get a lot of energy from work. um, And when I stop getting energy from work or when I stop looking around and being able to say, actually, these people are smarter than me. I'm learning something from, you know, I could really learn something from those guys. That looks like fun. Why don't I give it a go? The minute that's not happening, then I'm not getting anything out of it. So they're not getting the best out of me either. So we can almost translate fun to learning for some other people where if you're not learning, yeah, yeah. if you're not able yeah, to if you're learn, not learning. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're not being challenged um, or you're not working with great colleagues. For Mm. me, that's always really important. Um, You know, there are various there are various different ways of turning. Turning that particular angle. So mine is about fun, but I think learning is a really good learning is a really good one. Developing, um, expanding your own understanding, you know, all of those things are if that's what drives you then you find that you actually can't give of your best in a scenario where that's not available to you. Yeah. And what's interesting is some people might feel stuck in roles. And this is one of the things I encourage our listeners to do is to find ways that you can learn and you can develop even in those terrible roles. So Mm. if if you're currently looking for a new role and you're just depleted by what you're in right now, find something that you can actually learn, even if it's outside of your job. And, you know, you know, I know you're very big on reading books, read a book or listen to a podcast or do something that can help you to, to reinvigorate yourself. Because when you're looking for a job, you're also going to have to interview eventually. Yeah. And you need to be in a good headspace to do that. Absolutely. Or, you know, or volunteer or join a sports team, you know, whatever it is. And I think also never under, I mean, Obviously, lots of people have bad managers. There are lots of bad managers out there. 
but never underestimate the value of just going to your boss or going to a mentor and saying, hey, I feel kind of stuck. Can we talk about what special projects there might be coming up? What opportunities are there? There doesn't have to be about, doesn't have to be a conversation about title or a conversation about money or even a formal role change. But if you ask around and you look enthusiastic, it is amazing what special projects come out of the woodwork and where those might lead you. That's, I, I love that. Ask the questions, because if you don't ask, you're not going to get. And kind of going back to what you were saying about your time at Linklater's, it sounds like you got some time off to go and do things that you wanted to do. So this pro bono activity, you know, in the US working in India as well. So I assume that you asked for those. It wasn't like someone walked up to you and said, hey, Olivia, I know that you love pro bono stuff. Do you want to go off and do this? <laughs> Uh, no, I 100% I asked for them um, and I asked to be sent on to comment uh, to Moscow and then I asked them to make an exception of me and send me also to Italy, which they didn't like, you know, which they only like you to go once abroad. And then once I was qualified, I was very intentional about looking for the work that I wanted to do and the people I wanted to work for and with. And I was lucky that I was pretty much always, I mean, everybody has the occasional bad deal or deals, but that I was able to steer that because people are attracted to enthusiasm and um, commitment. And if you put your hand up for something, that's, everyone wants to work with the person who puts their hand up for stuff. Like that's way more fun than having to work or more rewarding than working with someone that you have to sort of force into things. And what would you say to listeners who don't know what they want to do? So, you know, you're very intentional about it. You kind of saw what you wanted to do and you you have your passions, you have your ideas, your thoughts. So what about those people who are stuck and they don't quite know what they want to do? I did a really interesting visualization once. Um, I was reading a book. Uh, called Playing Big by a woman called Tara Moore, which is M-O-E-H-R, I think. Um, and she says, imagine you are, she has you imagining you're 60, but you could do it at any age, but it should be at least 15 years from where you are at that moment. And imagine where you're sitting and imagine how you feel and imagine what's around you and imagine your relationships. And don't necessarily think you know, about your career, but think about the feelings and the emotions and the relationships that surround you. And what do you have to do to get to this point? Um, and I'm quite values led. So the reason I like pro bono work, the reason I do energy work, particularly renewable energy, is because I believe incredibly strongly in the importance of access to energy and infrastructure for everyone as a really as a crutch to development. Um, for both for societies and for countries. And so I'm very, very values led in my career. Um, and actually doing that visualization really drew that out of me. Like, what did I want to feel I'd achieved over the last 15 years? I wanted to feel like I'd had a positive impact on the lives of those who didn't have access to the things that I considered to be essential, namely electricity and clean water and roads because that's what drives so much of development. And, and do you have that somewhere that's kind of, is it just in your heart? Do you have it up on a wall? Is it something that you come back to? Has that changed? You know, is it, are you 15 years from the time you did that exercise? 
How, how, what's happened with that for you? I did it about five years ago and it hasn't really changed anything except to sort of foreground it. So when I think to myself, you know, what might I do next? I remi- I am reminded that actually the Im- impact, impact and purpose are, re- they're not important to everyone. They're really important to me. Hmm. And so I think for listeners who aren't sure what they want to do, in a way, instead of thinking what's the right next step, actually take a massive step back and think about the arc of the next 10 years um, and then think about in that context, what do I need to do to drive myself in a direction? Because almost certainly the answer isn't the next title or mm. you know another 15 grand on my pay packet. Mm. Yeah. It's almost certainly something, uh, you know, something more, more complex than that. So we talk a bit about backcasting. So looking forward and then kind of what are the steps you need to take to get to that place? And this is very mm. similar. Um, one of the people that we had on Marvelous Mentors, Ali Levine, did a fantastic job putting together a package for people to get coaching at a a price that is, it, it, it's, it's attainable, let's say, because coaching is quite expensive, as mm. we know. And um, I would highly recommend that people check that out as well, because they do these kind of visualization exercises. Um, you know, you talked about what your values led and, you know, some of our listeners be like, how do you know your values led? What does that even mean? You know, and a lot, a lot of that comes out yeah. um, from, from coaching. So I would, I would highly recommend um, looking it up. It's called the clear program um, by Ali Levin, L-E-V-I-N for listeners that are listening um, and listen to her podcast as well uh, with me in Marvelous Mentors. Because again, all this fantastic stuff that you're talking about, about looking forward or things that she covers on that. So I want to go to this point of intentionality. So this whole season is about the authentic you. You are very intentional about the way that you show up to work. You are very intentional about the way you walk into a room. You're very intentional about the you that you present to the outside world. Can you tell our listeners a bit about that? Because I think uh, for me, this is incredibly unique and it's something that is not at all on my radar and I love it. But would you mind sharing that? No, of course. So I think it comes from two things. I mean, I am. And when Kimberly says I'm intentional about it, I mean, right down to I wear some version of the same thing every single day. I have uh, an extremely expensive haircut that I never touch. So once every three months I go, I get my haircut and never think about it again. I look the same in any given professional scenario, Um, whether I'm in a meeting, in a one-on-one or I'm chairing a room of 30 or I'm, you know, on a stage in front of 200, I always look the same. And I have a persona that comes with you know that look the whole it's a package and I think there are two things that drive that one of them is that I'm naturally a very private person Mm. um and the other is that I am I certainly used to be always the only woman in a room full of men Mm. um and usually also the youngest by often by quite some way um and so I was always really clear, particularly in the early years when I was no longer a lawyer, but I was leading these big, big rooms, you know, 20, 30, 40 people, all men. I was the I was the person making the decisions, but I was also probably the youngest. Mm. It was really important to me that 
nobody ever thought about what I was wearing or who I was or what was going on in my private life because once once you go down the route of them realizing that you're different then a you lose a major negotiation advantage because for as long as they think you're like them then they think you think like them and you know it's helpful helpful to be able to come in from left field um but also I needed to effectively, I felt like I needed to camouflage myself. Hmm. Would I feel like that if I was coming into the workplace now? Certainly the women that work for me don't feel like that. And I suspect that that's, you know, that's partly because they've got me, but Hmm. I, at least I hope it's partly because they've got me. Um, But it's also because I think society has changed a very great deal in the last 20 years, actually. Um, and there are a lot more women in the spaces that I'm in now, although I'm pretty much always the most senior one. Um, and I am still often the only woman, um, and I'm still often the youngest. Um, Mm. and in that context, I don't want people, and this is, you know, this is true globally. And I just don't want them thinking, you know, this, this girl's awfully young to be making the decisions. She says, she says she has the authority to make the more that I can make myself invisible so that all they think about is what I'm saying and what I'm bringing and the authority that I bring with me, then the better the conversation that we have. And where, where did this come from? Like, is this something that you came up with yourself? Was this learned? Was this taught? Where, where was this from? I think watching the women, both at law firms and elsewhere who were operating in rooms of men this was very much this was very much the way of doing it you know you you look like a man Mm -hmm. or you looked you dressed in a way that nobody noticed or you made a real point of your clothes and I was Mm -hmm. never going to do that so that was you know the alternative was was not doing that and then I think when I was a very little girl my mother always I didn't I wasn't good at making friends at school. I'm still not very good at making friends with strangers. Um, they think I am, but I know I'm not. Um, and my mother and I used to sing the song from um, The King and I about whistling a happy tune. Mm-hmm. You whistle a happy tune and no one will suspect you're afraid. And it goes on to say, if they don't know you're afraid, mm. then they don't know. But also the funny thing is you start to kid yourself. Mm. And so it was also part of creating or projecting an image of a confidence that I most certainly was not feeling. Hmm. Um, but now I do feel like the internal me has caught up to the projection. Amazing. And I mean that, you know, some people talk about fake it till you make it, but it sounds like this. Was, it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, but it's, it's a protection too. It sounds like it was, hmm. this very much sounds like that kind of self-defense mechanism and, and also walking into a room wearing a red dress, everyone looks at you. And if you are not feeling confident, <laughs> that's not going to go well because everyone's no. staring at you wearing a red dress and you're conscious of I'm wearing a red dress. So I can I actually completely can understand where you're coming from with that. And what I find interesting is it used to be when you as a woman would go on a leadership course, you would learn how to speak in a deeper voice to command a room you would learn about, you know, how you should dress with shoulder pads that were, you know, a bit bigger. So your shoulders look bigger. Take up space. Yeah. yeah. Take up space. And it's interesting that that is still in a way 
the way that you're operating in now, but you're seeing that it's not with people coming up behind you, but do you still see that in other people? And do you think that that is potentially a defense mechanism or do you think it is a, this is the way you still have to dress and be to get ahead? I really don't. I mean, I don't see anybody who takes it. I don't really see anybody who, I see lots of people who use their clothing as an expression of who they are. And to some mm. extent that is armor. Mm. Um, but I certainly no longer see women who feel they need to dress like men. Mm. And I don't, you know, I wear my, my uniform is black jeans and a silk shirt. Um, and that's what I wear anytime, any place. Yeah. Unless I, have- I really have to wear trousers and then I will wear trousers. <laughs> Yeah. So I think I find it really interesting because one of the things that I think for myself, I always want to look good when I walk in a room because that's where I get confidence. Mm. And, you know, you went back to your childhood and growing up and that sort of self-protection fake it till you make it. And I wonder if going back to my childhood, it was a lot about, you know, you need to look nice. You need to look pretty. You're a girl, pretty, pretty, pretty type thing. Mm. And I wonder how many of us subscribe to kind of one or other of those things when we walk into work without even thinking about it is, you know, people, I need to look pretty. So people like me, you know, is that something that I do? Is that my protection mechanism is make yourself look nice so that people like you, you know, as opposed to, or am I masking, you know, am I, am I actually doing something in order to mask my lack of knowledge so that I can distract people by wit and prettiness when mm. lack and substance you know i mean don't comment on that Olivia. <laughs> <laughs> but you know there's it's 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 quite interesting when you think about this authentic you yeah and i think you know it, if you think about it as constructing a personality and the layers of a personality that come up over you know years decades um like a sort of patina of um personality over personality over personality and bits of them get rubbed away and they get a bit shiny and old and then new stuff comes um you know the all of that starts from us as little girls and when and there's no question that the pressures on little girls are intense and they were intense then and they're intense now and but in different ways um and it certainly i think does form a big part of how you draw your confidence is how you were taught you know where were you taught to draw your confidence from Mm. Mm. yeah it's really interesting and what do you think in this i mean you know the entire this entire podcast is called the undiscovered you so through this kind of journey of self-discovery and recognizing the way that you wanted to operate in this world like what have you discovered about yourself Um, I think that's a really interesting question. The thing that I find most surprising is that I have one perception of myself and my colleagues and the people who work for me and the people on the opposite side of the table, they have a very different perception of me, as in each one of them have a different perception of me, which I find interesting. You know, I'm apparently one person across a negotiating table and one person as a leader and one person as a, as a peer. And I think the peers are the most interesting because they can't, I have discovered that I don't really have an ego. Like I have a very strong sense of myself 
but I don't really have an ego. I don't need to be the person. I need to be the person making the decision because I don't like other people's decisions, but I don't need to be the person doing the talking. I don't need to be the person who's seen to make the decision. I don't need to be the person who tells the CEO about what we're doing or, you know, tells the investors about what we're doing. I don't need any of that. Um, and that's incredibly unusual among men of a certain age. Um, and it wasn't until actually my coach, who was totally brilliant everywhere. I mean, if you can have a coach, you should so have a coach. My coach said, well, if you think about it, they are ascribing to you their own motivations. Mm. So this is not the way that other people see you is not about you. It's about how they see themselves. And they're simply projecting that onto you because you're like, a, you're something that they can't understand. Um, and I'm trying to tie it back to your original question. Um, but that's sort of what I learned, particularly over the last couple of years as I became, you know, I sit on our executive committee now, I'm an SVP, like I'm, I'm significantly more senior than I think I ought to be. Um, and in those rooms, that is where it's very unusual. Not that, that's where I'm the most unusual, not because of my gender, but because of what I don't need. Um, and that's what I've learned about myself. Yeah. And that was it. interesting. Yeah. And that's, I think that's that acknowledgement of it and understanding and what, and, and it's what drives you. And it goes back to your whole being values driven. That makes a lot of sense because if you're driven by values, if you have this idea of what you want to achieve and yourself in that, you know, in that room 15 years from now, there's no ego there. There's no ego in that room. And so that mm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So final question what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given or heard or overheard or been told? So I think two things. One, for those of us who have children is, in fact, two things for those of us who have children. One is never forget that your kids can't say no. I mean, of course, they can say no all the freaking time. But your job as a working mother in the rooms where someone says, oh, hey, can you do X? Oh, could you go to Manila for three days? Your kids aren't in that room. They're not there to say, actually, we really don't want you to do that. You have to be their advocate in that room and make sure that you're carving out their space in your life. And if you find it hard to say no for your own account or because you kind of love the thought of going to Manila for three days, um, then putting your kid's face on it, I find that really helpful. Um, and I also always tell my own team that, although I think they're utterly excellent, they're totally replaceable. Like they're totally replaceable. And eventually, you know, I'd be sorry if they left, but they're replaceable, but they're not replaceable at home. Mm. Um, and they should always remember that if they resign or they die or whatever, I will, they move on, I will replace them, but no one can replace them at home. Um, and you know, they should prioritize accordingly. And for those of us who don't have children, I'm on maternity leave incidentally, and I can, I actually went back to the office today and they, they're all ungrateful. They're totally fine. The ship's running without me. It's very, very, it's an excellent reminder that no one's irreplaceable. Um, and for those of us who don't have children, the best advice I ever got was don't step back before you need to. Don't tell yourself, I'm going to get a job that's, uh, you know, if you want children that's parenting friendly or that's super flexible or where, you know, I can see they have loads of women who are also mothers working there. Don't do that. Keep doing what you want to do 
whatever interests you. And when it gets, if it gets to be too much or if it doesn't work, then change. But don't preemptively step back because you you have a a perception of how either you or your workplace would respond to you balancing uh, work or any you know, work and parenting or work and other interests until it becomes a problem. Don't you know? Don't step back. I like that, and I also I think you know we talked about your intentionality, asking for things, that sort of thing. If you if you're the type of person who you're working hard, they see the product that you that you have, that you are actually excellent at what you do, they will make concessions, they'll find a way to keep you. Of course they will. They will. Yeah, exactly. And again, though, the, the whole idea that you are completely replaceable, I, you cannot say it enough. We have another guest who talks about that um, and how corporates are not your friends, essentially. They are not there to be your friends. And you need to recognize the fact that if you put the corporate first, they will let you down. And one of the things I had a, a boss say to me, which was hilarious, is I came in, I had the flu, I was so sick. And I walked in and she said, Kimberly, do your arms hurt? And I was like, do my arms hurt? I was like, no, I've got a chesty cough. My nose is running. And she goes, so you're not holding the building up with your two arms. And I was <laughs> like, oh, she's like, go home. <laughs> and uh, it was just, it was such a, it was such a perfect phraseology for, mm. you know, you need to, you need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of your family. You need to take care of your health. Nothing is as important as that. And the corporate will continue. People will step in. If you're on maternity leave, if you're sick, if you need to go home, there's always somebody else to do the work. I think that's excellent advice, Olivia. And you'll be a way better employee. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been incredibly exciting. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and ideas around being your authentic self. Um, I wish you the best for the rest of your maternity leave and look forward to hearing what your next big step is. Thanks so much, Kimberly. It was really nice to catch up. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Join us next week when I speak to Majda about being her authentic self as a sustainability champion. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment below. And I hope you're one step closer to discovering the undiscovered you.